0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Smell Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Boating. This week, join me in listening to an interview with Josie Ratton. Josie is originally from Yorkshire, England, and has been in the U.S. for about 20 years. She worked as an architectural lighting designer for the majority of her career, and now works in voice acting and as a podcast host for the show called Your Lighting Lady. Josie has congenital anosmia due to Kalman's Syndrome, a rare genetic disorder, The majority of those with Kalman syndrome are male, so being female with a condition is even more rare. We discuss how she was finally diagnosed in college, how she figured out she didn't have a sense of smell, and much, much more. Our interview was recorded in July 2021. Let's listen to the interview. Hi, Josie. Welcome to the Smell Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, thanks. Thank you so much for joining. I wanted to um, talk with you for the small podcast. We touched base via email, and I wanted to hear a little bit more about your story. So, to start off, can you please tell us a little bit more about yourself? Like, where are you from? What do you do for work? That kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. This is great to great to be part of your podcast. Um. So yeah. So I am originally from England. I was born in Yorkshire, um, and I moved to the U.S. about 20 years ago. It'll be 20 years in August. And I lived in San Francisco for 10 years and I've been in near Boulder, Colorado for the past 10 years. Um, yeah, I was a lighting designer for almost my whole career. I was lighting designer for until the beginning of last year, an architectural lighting designer designing lighting for buildings, parks, municipalities, that kind of thing. And now I am actually a voice actor and uh, also a podcast host just like you. Oh, that's fantastic. I didn't realize you had a podcast. What's it called? It's called Your Lighting Lady, and I give advice on how to have better lighting in your home. Okay, question that pops up for me here
0: is how do you get into the lighting industry?
1: <laughs> so I did architectural engineering as a degree, um, university, and part of that is lighting. So it covers structural, civil engineering, architecture, HVAC, acoustics, all kind of things, and then lighting and electrical is part of that. And lighting was the thing I enjoyed more than anything. Um, so then I looked into how do you become a lighting designer, and that's that's what I've become. So it's pretty small industry. Um, everyone kind of knows everybody in that industry, but it's um, it was fun. You know, it was a great thing to do for for twenty years. I was just ready for something new. That's fantastic. So can you share with everyone what is your anosmia story? Yeah, so I have congenital anosmia, and that's through having a genetic disorder called Kalman syndrome. And the medical term is hypogonadotropic hypogonadism with anosmia. If anyone wants to know about that, it's called wow. Kalman syndrome. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's a rare genetic disorder where basically the typical characteristics is a failure to go through puberty because of a hormone deficiency and no sense of smell. They're, they're the two things. The makeup, up Kalman syndrome yeah I'm
0: kind of interested do you have any idea why no sense of smell is linked to that
1: yeah so it's actually what causes Kalman syndrome is the hypothalamus which is in your brain near your pituitary gland that essentially doesn't work um, properly um, and it doesn't produce and release GnRH hormone, which is then the hormone that kickstarts everything else for puberty and for your ovaries to work or your testes to work. And people with Kalman syndrome don't have a fully working hypothalamus. And so, but that GnRH is actually not formed in your hypothalamus when you're an embryo. It's actually formed in part of your olfactory system. Um, So when your brain is developing as a very young fetus, the... Olfactory system actually makes that GnRH hormone, and then as the fetus develops, that GnRH moves into the hypothalamus and kind of sits there, ready to go until you go through puberty. And so I had MRI scans and CAT scans, and I discovered that I basically didn't have an olfactory system, or not a fully formed olfactory system. And so that's why I can't smell because my olfactory system is missing. But that's also why. I have common syndrome because I never had the hormones made so, as a fetus. It's kind of a weird connection.
0: Yeah, it's definitely fascinating. So one thing that I've heard about common syndrome is that it's more common in men than women. Is that correct? Yes.
1: Yeah, so it's actually much more common in men and that's really because it can be passed down genetically from a mother. It's a X chromosome based. And so, because the males get their X chromosome from their mother, it's more likely that the, if the mother does have that gene, and, um, mutated gene, then they would get Kalman syndrome. Whereas for women, because we get two X chromosomes, you know, you really need both parents to, um, to be able to get Kalman syndrome. And so that's pretty rare. And so for most women, my understanding is that Kalman syndrome is really formed from mutation. So for me, through through a few genetic testing that I've done, it's really thought that I have it because when I was an embryo, there was just a mutation in some genes. And that's what caused it. It wasn't anything hereditary. Whereas for men, it can be hereditary. So I could pass it on to um, my son.
0: Interesting. So one question that I have for you, have you met anyone else in person who has common syndrome, whether male or female?
1: I haven't actually met anyone in person, but I know a lot of people through online forums that I'm part of. And um, my mother's actually met quite a few people. She was really involved when I first got diagnosed um, with meeting people. So there is a lot of Facebook groups, well, a few Facebook groups out there um, for supporting people with Kalman syndrome. And that's been really good. And that's there's some people who are really trying to get the word out there about Kalman syndrome because it is a rare disorder. And so it's really trying to get people to get diagnosed early, because it is something that is often diagnosed quite late. And when it's diagnosed late, it can have a really big impact on someone, both emotionally and physically, to not go through puberty.
0: Yeah, definitely. So was there a moment for you as a child where you figured out that you didn't have a sense of smell? And if so, what was that like
1: for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where I feel for a lot of congenital anosmics, you always just assume you can smell. I mean, no one ever thinks oh I can't smell. But I just assumed I could have a weak sense of smell because there were some things I thought I could smell. But I've learned later on that they're actually a different part of your reflex system or you know, um sensory system. And so I always thought maybe I could smell something weak. I thought I could smell things like ammonia or mint. and but I was actually tasting vapors on my mouth some of the times is what I've learned. So I think when I was maybe a teenager in high school, I remember doing a biology class and we had to smell these really stinky flowers and everyone had to get in kind of a line as to how much of a sort of visceral reaction you had to these flowers. And I remember at the time I was kind of down one end of the line, but there was quite a few other people down that end of the line, too who said they couldn't really smell it that much. And I was like, okay, well, I'm just like them, you know, no difference. And it's a similar thing in chemistry with some of the, you know, know, chemicals that we had there, I thought I could always smell. So I always thought I could smell, but it was really just, I think because I couldn't smell so much of the things that other people could. Like I could never smell perfume or I couldn't smell gas, you know, or going past a farm because we always lived by farms. I could never smell like the manure. (laughs) And so... It was never really a moment. It was more just like, hmm, maybe there's something there, but it was never a big part of growing up. And I know other people you've had on your podcast have talked about where the smell was a big part of their growing up. And for me, it really wasn't. My family wasn't people who talked about smell that much. I mean, they could all smell. It just wasn't like the major sense that we talked. We talked about taste and flavor and things a lot more so it wasn't really until i actually got to university and some of my friends i made at university were kind of obsessed with smell just every day they would talk about smelling something or how amazing this was you know and always asking me to smell stuff and that was really when it almost hit me that I was like okay i can't smell and i need to know more about why i can't smell so i would say it was really my university friends and they almost like kick-started um, my diagnosis with Kalman syndrome, because I hadn't been diagnosed at that point. So, yeah.
0: Oh, okay. So, yeah, you didn't realize that you had Kalman syndrome until university then.
1: Yeah. And I actually went to go see a doctor um, because I couldn't smell. And so I just happened to go see a doctor and part of the university medical clinic. And I said, look, you know, I, I can't smell. And is this a sinus thing? Do I have an injury? you know, what's the testing? And she asked me a few questions. And then it got into the fact that, you know, I didn't have the hormones and I hadn't gone through puberty. And she happened to say, well, there's something called Kalman syndrome. So maybe you should go to see an endocrinologist. And it was so lucky because I've never met another doctor since who'd ever heard of Kalman syndrome. So I was really lucky that she had, and she uh, referred me to an endocrinologist who could officially diagnose me. Um. So, yeah, that was at, at university, which is an interesting time to go through puberty, if anyone was wondering.
0: <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. I have so many questions about that. So, <laughs> so when you went to the endocrinologist, they were able to assist you with that process
1: then? Yeah, so essentially what they did, well, they did a f- full smell test on me, you know, where they put a load of like different tubs of various things in front of my nose and told me to bit, take a big sniff and because I had zero reaction to any of them you know that confirmed I couldn't smell and then I had these MRI scans and I had the CT scans and that showed that I had I didn't have my olfactory system the olfactory bulbs then I had a lot of blood work done that was just seeing what the hormone levels were in my body so all of those things combined essentially he then um, diagnosed me with Kalman's and he's I was lucky too the endocrinologist I saw was one of the the big specialists in England for Kalman syndrome. So yeah, so then he, I basically started on hormone treatment and I've been on hormone treatment ever since.
0: Oh, that's so, that's, I'm glad that you had two doctors, the first person who knew about Kalman syndrome and the second person who was a specialist in that disorder who were able to assist you. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah, I was very lucky because I I do know of people who have struggled, you know, to find people and and to get diagnosed. So no, I, I know I was very lucky, which is, it's a shame it was, You know, I was 19. It would have been nice if it was earlier, but but at least, you know, it was, it was early enough.
0: Yeah. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? I'm a big proponent of speaking about the importance of mental health because living with a smell disorder can have a significant impact in your life. It can be an isolating and scary experience. I believe in the power of therapy and that's why I recommend BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating within 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 15,000 plus counselor network which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log in to your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So you'll not ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit betterhelp.com slash the smell podcast. That's better H E L P, and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for the Smell Podcast listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash the smell podcast. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. <laughs> So another question that I have for you to kind of pivot away from what we're talking about right now, but just in terms of food. So growing up, what kind of foods did you enjoy and do you feel like having no sense of smell impacted you as a child with the foods that you chose to eat or did you just kind of go along with what your family had or can you talk a little bit more about that if you think anosmia has had an impact on the foods that you like to eat?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's such an interesting question though, because I think it's so hard to know if my taste is impacted or it has an influence because I don't know any other things. So when people say, can I, can I taste well? And I feel like I have a very sensitive taste. I'm super sensitive to anything spicy, anything with pepper, super sensitive to that. So I always feel I have a sensitive taste, but then I don't know with other foods, is it normal how my taste is? And and I do feel there's a scale. I think the whole population has a scale of of like how well they smell, how well they taste. But I'm sure it did, and I've I've heard this before with some other anosmics, is I am quite sensitive to texture, and I think that's quite common with anosmics. And there's certainly a lot of textural food that I – certain textures that I don't eat or I don't like to eat, and it's much more about texture for those foods than necessarily flavor. Other than really spicy food, that's something I really don't eat, but a lot of times it's texture, so it's things like bananas or avocados – or um, eggplant and like creamy like cream or ice cream that kind of texture I you know I have an issue with but I I, I do think my taste is pretty sensitive and I for me I've always it overcompensated for the fact that I couldn't smell
0: I think it'd be really fascinating to have a scientific study only with congenital anosmics on taste absolutely I agree yeah I I know you, you've mentioned that you know Dia Klein, and I've spoken with her before for the podcast, and Dia does congenital anosmic taste tests on her YouTube video. Mm. And she's she's um, of the same opinion as you that she has an excellent sense of taste. So I am just curious. I think she says that she feels like she has a truer sense of taste than those who have a sense of smell because she's really tasting it without the distraction of flavor.
1: Right. I'm yeah. not sure
0: if I'm putting words in her mouth, but something like that.
1: And that's what's interesting—the whole flavor part of it, because you know, people say that the flavor is the is smell, but I feel that like I can sense flavor. But am I really sensing flavor, or is that just something I imagine? But then I don't know. Does anyone really know what flavor is? That's what I I think. That's why the research would be amazing if they could really just focus it in on congenital anosmics, and really, because I think you could really understand taste more more purely and more. Um, directly if you took away the smell of it and, and what is taste. I think it would be an amazing study. Yeah, do.
0: we should we should pitch that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure who does that, but yeah, we should we should find those people.
0: Maybe someone at the Monell Chemical Census Centre might be able to
1: help us. Yeah, yeah, that would be great.
0: So another question for you in regards to food is how do you figure out if your food has gone bad? Do you have any special strategies?
1: Generally, I ask my husband. He's definitely my, you know, as you say, my designated no- nose. He has a an amazing sense of smell. He's almost the the other extreme. You know, he is so sensitive to smell, to an extreme, I think. And it's almost annoying to me, like, how sensitive he is to, for, to smell. So he, I generally ask him most of the times. But if he's not there and if I don't want to ask him, then I, I tend to just, If it looks bad or if it's old, then I'll just throw it away and I won't worry about it. But sometimes I'll taste it. You know, sometimes you pour a little bit of milk into tea and then it just kind of tastes funny. But I mean, you can see if milk's truly gone bad, like if it has lumps in it or something. But I will honestly just and if someone says to me, oh, this milk's gone bad, if I give like my son a glass of milk and he says it's gone bad, I'm like, "Okay, I'll just believe him and, you know, we'll throw it away. So I'm pretty fast at throwing away stuff if I feel it's gone bad. But I do rely on my husband mainly for um, food. And also, it's funny, he'll also taste stuff for me if it's if we think it's going to be spicy. And he my, my like my designated tester as well. <laughs> that's
0: fantastic. Does your son help you in regard to that ever?
1: Well, we're not sure if he can't smell either. And so that's the issue, whether we don't know if he also has Kalman syndrome. Oh. And so he's a bit too young to test right now. It's going to be more when he gets to the age of when boys would go through puberty. And he's also a bit too young to truly test for smell because at this age, they're not always reliable with their answers. Um, So we do ask him a lot of questions about smell. And because my husband can smell so well, we do try and test him a bit. And occasionally he will say something about smell that surprises us that kind of gives us the idea that he can smell, but then other times they'll have no reaction to smell. So we don't know if maybe he has a really weak sense of smell or or what it is. So, yeah, it's it's interesting that for him, he feels he can't smell either, just I think because I can't smell. So he's like my, you know, my partner in crime on that. (laughs) That's really interesting. I didn't realize that it would
0: um, take a while, I guess, to find out whether or not he had the syndrome and the sense of smell, because, yeah, if you talk to children about, something smells I don't imagine that they would be
1: very good at being able to tell you right I know certainly when he was younger like four or five we would ask him what something smelled like and it didn't matter what he was he just said strawberries yeah (laughs) so but then he said something when there's been a bad smell in the room and no one said anything like it's been kind of silent in the room and then there was a bad smell and he commented on it And so that was interesting. But then on other times when there's been bad smells, he hasn't commented. So that's what makes us curious as to what it is um, and and whether he can smell or not.
0: Yeah. So another question that I have for you is in your day-to-day life, when smell comes up in conversation, do you take the time to explain to people that you don't have a sense of smell?
1: I don't. Generally, if it's strangers um, or people I'm just meeting in passing or an acquaintance, say, like at a meeting... Um, Oftentimes I'll just agree. I'll just nod, you know, <laughs> someone will say, oh, this smells nice. I'm like, uh-huh. Or, you know, so I, I often think of like when I'm in a department store and, you know, they try and spray perfume at you or something like that. And I always just take it. I'm like, oh, that's nice. You know, because I just, I just don't think it's worth it to have a conversation with those people. But if it's a friend or if I'm, you know, somewhere and I'm actually having a real conversation with someone, then I might bring it up. Um, if it seems appropriate I'm not just gonna say it out you know out of the blue it's generally I would say it's people who are friends who I know really well who forget that I can't smell which happens a lot and maybe with you too and you just have to remind them you know they'll I'll be with them and they're like oh doesn't this smell amazing and then they're like oh sorry (laughs) you know and then they'll remember right
0: it almost takes a second for them to remember yeah yeah. yeah that's pretty common yeah. I actually was in the mall the other day for the first time in a long time and I walked through Macy's the department store perfume mm-hmm. counter and I was just thinking to myself of all of the different stinks and at the Macy's the smells I guess um, at the Macy's perfume counter because I have acquired anosmia so mm-hmm. I can vaguely remember how like overwhelming that area of the store oh, was oh and now it's just nothing but it's just curious to me to compare and contrast the differences
1: yeah I think that's fascinating I think for me at least for the people who are acquired ados Osmix, because you know what it was and and now you don't have it and you know I think it's the same for any sense you know if some if I lost my eyesight or my hearing it would be a huge impact on my life um you know versus never having it um, so I think it's fascinating, especially that I could imagine the overwhelming, you know, of a Macy's perfume counter, just how smelly that is. That's that's interesting. Yeah, it's really stinky
0: from what I can remember. Just <laughs> all the different competing um, smells from the different perfumes.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: So speaking of that, the differences kind of between congenital and acquired anosmia, being someone with congenital anosmia, do you self-identify as having a
1: disability? Yeah, that's that's so interesting. I know like Diaz talked a lot about that and other people have. And it's definitely something I haven't really ever thought about until recently, you know, when other anosmics have been discussing it. I think because of, I think the term disability has so many meanings and levels of disability and types of disability that to me, it's a hard word to wrap my head around what I have. But I don't necessarily disagree about whether I have a disability or not, because I am missing uh, really a fundamental part of the human system. I think it's interesting. I I would say I'm leaning towards maybe agreeing that it is a disability, but I'm not sure I'm I'm fully there yet. Yeah,
0: that makes that makes sense. I actually really enjoy this question because the answers are always so varied. Mm -hmm. and And, yeah. you're right. The word itself is very loaded. There's a lot mm-hmm. of negative connotations to the word disability,
1: yeah. And it's, yeah, it's almost i I think I was listening to one of your interviews recently, and they said it was like a hindrance, and that's almost where i I'm at is is it's it does impact my life, but I don't know if I would say i'm I have a disability, and i I think it's just understanding what that word means. And I'm not quite sure to me what that word means to me. Yeah, that's totally fair.
0: So what would you like people who don't have an osmia to know about what it's like having it?
1: I think as we as we talked about before, I think the number one thing for me is to not automatically assume that you can't taste too. I do think that's a super annoying question. I, I guess I don't blame people for asking that because, you know, people who can smell always associate smell and taste, but it's not about taste. It's about smell. And I would want people to just maybe think about it because to me, it's like saying, if someone's blind saying, oh, well, can you not hear? It's like, well, they're two different things. You know, it's, uh, they're different parts of your body. They might be related, but they're two different things. And so I would, like people to maybe stop a little bit and not be so like, there's literally the first question you get asked for me, at least. I don't know. Same for you. Was it, can you taste? Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and it just, that's the most annoying. Cause then you have to go into a whole spiel of like, well, I can taste and you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, and I guess the other thing is I do wish as we talked about before, the medical industry and the sort of research industry takes it more seriously because I do feel that smell is not taken seriously by doctors and it's not a a major um, avenue that doctors go down learning about, you know, the nose and the olfactory system. And I just think if they could spend more time and maybe money on looking at the causes, the treatments for you know people who have acquired anosmia, And then, as we talked about, the research into taste and congenital anosmics I think would be great. I just feel like there'd be better and more informed diagnoses if there was more time spent on it and it was taken more seriously by doctors. Just other anosmics I've talked to how hard it's been for them to get diagnosed with no sense of smell because a lot of doctors will just brush it off and they're like oh you can't smell whatever wasn't something we can do about it or they don't take them seriously and and I just wish the medical community would take it more seriously because it is it impacts you I mean it's a it's a big impact on people's lives
0: yeah I'm actually really curious about what kind of education is provided to doctors in the U.S. and other places around the world but I just always want to know, and I'm not quite sure how to find out, to go about finding out, but what are they taught at school? Like a general practitioner versus obviously an ear, nose and throat doctor is going to have some more education around smell disorders. Mm -hmm. But even just like, what does the general practitioner know or taught about anosmia? And I think the answer is probably very little to nothing.
1: Yeah, I agree. And And I've got to assume probably taste is the same. So people who are born without, you know, taste... I think because so much is done on the other senses that those are kind of pushed to the side. And from what I understand is the ear, nose and throat doctors are kind of the lower rung of the ladder a little bit. At least that's what I've heard from doctor friends of mine in terms of what um, people don't really learn about that much stuff, you know, ear, nose and throat stuff, as much as as other parts of of medicine, which is a shame because I think there's a lot to learn there. The oh, I see. You know mean, so
0: you're saying like um, the ENT specialty? A lot of general practitioners don't pay a lot of attention to that part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, that was my understanding, just from talking to some people who are in the medical field. So yeah, I mean, I think it would just be nice to yeah to understand more about why why doctors don't know about that. I mean, certainly, ever since that doctor who diagnosed me at university, I've never met another general practitioner who had ever heard of it. And I know there's a lot of rare disorders out there, so I'm not kind of expecting all doctors to know every single genetic disorder, you know, that exists because right. there's a lot there's a lot out there. But, um, you know, it'd be nice maybe. And I, I it would be curious to see how or to understand how they're taught these different rarer disorders and, and, and how they learn about these things. Yeah, definitely. I should.
0: Trying to figure out how to interview someone who's in charge of medical school curriculum.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, that would be a great idea. Yeah, someone who's a an nose and throat doctor would be interesting. Yeah, and I would say the other thing for people to know about. One of the, I was thinking about this um, before the call, and if there was more, and this is kind of more to manufacturers and and other things, but if there's more ways to um, highlight like bad smells, like I know, like with diapers, you know, you have a newborn and diapers. Now, some of them have um, indicators on them that when it's damp, which is awesome, you know? So, I mean, I run into this with my son and I'm sure you do too. It's like, you can't smell when they've filled their diaper. So you just have to look. Um, And But those indicators on the diaper show it to you. So that is helpful. And if there was... I would love things like if there was like color changing on products like on milk like so they know when milk has gone bad like i'm not sure what kind of sensor that would be or food has gone bad and you can just see it you know i think that would be awesome like with bad smells when we have gas detectors you know we have that kind of thing you can buy for your house but if there's other types of detectors for bad smells like it does your fridge smell bad you know that would be a good thing to know
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And to your point about having a newborn, definitely. Um, we had a, a certain brand of diapers at the beginning and it didn't have that strip on it. And mm-hmm. as soon as they were done, I was like, We're getting the other kind that has the indicator on it. Just yeah. because I'm constantly checking on his butt. I'm sure he doesn't yeah. appreciate it.
1: <laughs> I know. That's what I did too. It's like the only thing you could do is just, you know. Although in some ways it was good because then it didn't bother you know, it doesn't bother you to change the diaper.
0: So. Exactly. Yeah, that's <laughs> one perk.
1: Yeah. If you could have a sense of smell, would you want one? I think I would. Um, it would be fascinating to get it now, you know, after so many decades of not having it. Um, I think it would surely overwhelm, you know, my whole system. <laughs> but, but I would, I'd like to have not a really strong one, like not like my husband who is, is so uber sensitive to it. But I would, for me, what I'm I think the biggest thing that I miss about it is that emotional connection that you hear about that smell has. Um, I don't know if it's the pheromones or just that emotional connection to people or places and the fact that I can't smell my son. I think that's, that's to me the biggest thing. I don't necessarily miss smelling food or smelling flowers. I don't know if I care that much about that stuff. But I think for the people and the emotional side of it and maybe... You know, if you go to someone's like home that you haven't been to in a long time and it smells of them, that would be nice to have.
0: Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Um, That's one thing that I definitely miss. There's certain smells that will take you back. Um, It'll trigger memories or just make you really nostalgic and not having that anymore has been upsetting um, for acquired. And it's just fascinating to me from like a congenital perspective um, that you have not experienced that before. Yeah. At, at all so it's just I don't know I'm I'm so happy that I'm in this space still with this podcast and get to speak to people because all of these things come up and I just really enjoy talking about it
1: <laughs> yeah and and it's just interesting because it makes you question as a congenital anosmic it makes you question what your emotional connections to people are you know do you have true connections are you really Do you have the same relationship or feeling towards people as people who can smell? And you don't know how much of the emotional connection you have to someone is smell or is it other things, you know, that that makes you like someone. Um, And I think that to me is, is interesting because I don't know, I mean, I don't know the answer, but I don't know what congenital anosmics are missing out on. So one thing
0: that you saying that brings back t- for me is I read an article a while ago and I just quickly looked it up. Um, it's from Valentine's Day. Nice touch there with the person who pu- published the article. But Valentine's Day of 2018 and the title of the article is If You Can't Smell Him, Can You Love Him? Mm. I'll, sh- I'll have to share it with you and yeah. share it with the podcast listeners. But I just remember when I first read it that It was upsetting to me because Mm -hmm. I had had a sense of smell and then no longer had one. But it interviews um, like Dr. Dalton from the Monell Chemical Census Center. It has Thomas Hummel information about him in there. But basically, um, Dr. Dalton says when you don't have a sense of smell, there's a whole level of communication that you're missing. Mm. And I just remember not enjoying this article very much.
1: Yeah. And that's certainly when I've read things like that about, you know, you'll read an article about, oh, well, you know, when you fall in love with someone, it's the smells that you fall in love with. And, you know, it wasn't a medical article. It's more of a, you know, a cosmopolitan type article. But I remember thinking that, too. And and certainly when, you know, I started dating is it is it like am i missing this whole side of me that i'm never truly going to be connected to somebody um and it does and it does make me wonder and the same with my son it's like what is my connection to my son versus someone who can smell what's their mm. connection how different is it or is it really more similar than you think like I, you know it's but you don't know because i don't know what that what you get from smell what you get from the pheromones um for that connection but it makes me think, you know, all of my friendships that I have, you know, family that I have, like how much I love them. What is that love compared to someone who can smell? You know, I don't know. That would be
0: another interesting and fascinating study. Mm-hmm. So, Josie, do you have anything else that you'd like to share with listeners?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would just say just to go back to Kalman syndrome, certainly for people who are out there, if they are experiencing any kind of hormone deficiency. Maybe you have children who haven't gone through puberty or or you yourself haven't, and you are a late teen or an adult. I think really trying to, and you are struggling to get diagnosed. I think that's one of the goals with the Kalman syndrome groups is to try and get this um, more awareness of it and to get people diagnosed, because I do know people who were maybe in their forties and fifties before they got diagnosed with it. So you know really trying to find the right doctors you know if you can and then if you can't but you you think you might have something like one of these genetic um or hormone disorders finding those support groups online i mean i've found these facebook groups for kalman syndrome and they've been amazingly supportive and the same with anosmia too so if you have anosmia there are support groups out there in um on facebook and the the fifth sense charity is a great support group um so really just trying to put like do more research and look out for those groups and really kind of push your doctors, try and see an endocrinologist if you know if you think you have some kind of issue there with your um, pituitary glands. Um, and get it checked out because right now there, there is no reason that you shouldn't be forty or fifty and getting diagnosed with Kalman syndrome at this point.
0: Yeah, that's actually really fascinating to me because at that point if you're 40 or 50 um not everyone is like past childbearing age for women but it's at that point where you might be getting towards being past childbearing age so just would your doctors put you through puberty at that age it's just so fascinating
1: yeah, well, I mean, actually, one of the bigger, more medical reasons for it is actually osteoporosis. Because mm. if you don't go through pu- puberty, your bones don't calcify. So that's also—I'm six foot tall, and one of the reasons is because my I, my bones didn't calcify until I went to puberty. So I was 19 or 20 when I stopped growing, and um, and a lot of people, osteoporosis is one of the um, more serious symptoms of calmer syndrome and a lot of people especially when they're older getting diagnosed because you really need to be on that treatment to help that and really for for men it's so much more psychologically damaging than for women to not go through puberty because it's so much more outwardly obvious um for women there's not really that many outward signs um that you haven't gone through puberty but for men like their voices don't drop they don't grow hair they don't grow muscle um it's a very psychologically damaging thing. And there's a lot of support out there for men with Kalman syndrome because of that, um, because they need to get that testosterone treatment. And if they can get it early, so if you can treat it as a child, then they can go through normal development as if you didn't have it. So that's, you're still going to have issues with fertility, but you would you would go through the normal puberty development. Um, so there is fertility issues, both men and women with that, but that's kind of treated separately than just the going through puberty part. Um, so yeah, so I think, um, for, for men especially, and it's also very hard for men to go to doctors and try and find that treatment and get diagnosed because I think there's a lot of embarrassment, especially if you get to an age where you're an adult and you're wanting to get diagnosed with it because you're kind of embarrassed that you haven't developed and you don't maybe seem as masculine as as you wanted to be. Um, so, so it is a it, it's a hard um, disorder to have and I think particularly more so for, for men than for women in my experience of talking to other people. It definitely
0: makes me want to learn more about it since it is such a rare disease or disorder it would be interesting um, just the considerations about osteoporosis for example that you just shared I hadn't thought
1: about that had no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's certainly because it's something I'm aware of. I have osteopenia, which is kind of the the level before osteoporosis. So I get my bones scanned every few years and, you know, I take calcium, but I feel pretty strong. I've never really had issues, um, you know, with my bones. So, you know, that's lucky. Um, but I, I, I do know people who who have. Um, so, yeah, I think if and also what's interesting with there's a sister disorder to Kalmar syndrome, which is basically people who can smell. But have all of the other symptoms of Kalman syndrome, so it's <laughs> it's not Kalman syndrome is with the no sense of smell, um, and then there's a sister one which is called CHH, um, but it doesn't have a nosmia with it.
0: Oh, that's also fascinating.
1: Mm. So Josie, how can listeners find you on social media? Yeah, so I am on Instagram and on LinkedIn, and it's just Josie Ratten, J O S I E W R A T T E N. And that's um, my professional Instagram and and LinkedIn. And then I'm also with my podcast is Your Lighting Lady. And I have an Instagram for Your Lighting Lady. And you can learn all different ideas and tips on how you can get better lighting in your home, which is also very important. That's (laughs) That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I'll make sure to include all of those links in the episode notes so that people can get connected with you. Great. Um, but thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was lovely to speak with you and learn a little bit more about your experiences.
1: Yeah, it was so great to talk to you. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you to Josie for coming on the podcast and sharing her story with all of us. If you'd like to connect with her, I've included all the links to her Instagram pages, her personal one and her podcast one and her LinkedIn profile and the episode notes. If you'd like to learn more about Kalman syndrome, I've also included a link to additional information on the NORD or National Organization for Rare Disorders website in the show notes. The Smell and Taste Association of North America, or STANA, is the first patient organization focused on smell and taste disorders in the USA. To find out more, visit STANA's website online at www.thestana.org. We've raised enough initial funds to start the process of establishing as a 501c3 organization, so thank you to everyone who has donated so far. We are still raising funds to help pay for startup costs, so if you'd like to help, you will find the fundraising website online via GoFundMe. Link to donate will be in the episode notes. For any questions, or if you'd like to get involved, please visit the website or email us directly at info at the Please rate, review, and subscribe to the Smell Podcast if you listen using iTunes. As you guys know, reviews are super helpful because they allow others to find the podcast. Not sure why, but it really helps. And finally, if you'd like to financially support the show, you can do so by clicking on the link in the episode description. I appreciate your support. And as always, thank you to everyone who currently contributes to the show because your generosity is what makes this podcast continue to be possible. Until next time, have a great day.